Can you imagine having no radio, no television, no newspapers, no magazines, never being to a bar, never being on a date, being in an arranged marriage, basically being secluded from the world? Can you imagine that? Well, that is what happened to my guest, Julia Hart. She is a woman who now, now wears many hats She is a reality star. You may have seen her show, My Unorthodox Life. You may have read her book. You may have seen her being the CEO and chief creative officer at Elite World Group, where she really has guided that company to expand the definition of a model and treating women right. You may have even experienced her new body wear, that she recently came out with that is exploding her shapewear. Either way, this episode is so powerful. I mean, so many times listening to her and communicating with her, I just couldn't even believe that someone went through this, like in today's day and age, but it's still happening. You'll learn more about it with this extreme religion but really the mental fortitude that Julia had to have to get out of it. So sit back, listen to this, and I just know you're going to feel so empowered once it's done. Julia Hart, welcome to the show. Hey, it's Emily here. You know that uniqueness you have? I call it the it factor. We all have it, but some of us either really need to identify it or start to empower it. This show is all about giving you the lessons, tools, and principles I've learned after building a nine-figure sales organization, training leaders around the globe, and working alongside of some of the most influential people in this world. So now it's time to de-plug from your outside world and plug into your new world here. Let's dive in. Hello, Queen. How are you? Um, so good. It's so nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. You're so beautiful. Oh my goodness. You're gorgeous. Oh, as are you. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, are, what, what are you up to today? Working from the Hamptons. Yeah. So if you got to work, I might as well do it in the sunshine and the trees behind me. I, that's what's up. Seriously. Well, it is such an honor to connect with you. Oh my goodness. And <laughs> we'll, we'll just, we'll just start off. Let's do it. Yeah. Because I, I pre-recorded your, your interview, your bio, like, oh my goodness, <laughs> Julia Hart, you are, first of all, let me tell you, like, you're a woman's woman and I fell in love with you on your, your show on Orthodox life. I, goodness, I'm like, this woman is divine. (laughs) And from, from the book, from the show and how you're, you read the book too. Look at you. I'm I'm all in. I mean, I love it. I love it. And you know, the, the truth is, is that, you know, you're, I'm just so proud of you for like leaning in and in, in, in sharing your message with the world because 
so many people would keep it to themselves and go, okay, I'm getting over it, but you're, you're literally using a megaphone and you're standing up for women. And I'm so proud of you. So thank you for being thank here. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm really touched. That's very lovely of you to say. Thank you. Oh, and for those of you that don't know your backstory and how you got out of this aggressive religion, I'll just call it. Can you, <laughs> can you shed some light on that? <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I was brought up in a very extremist, fundamentalist, ultra-Orthodox Jewish community. Um, and let me caveat it by saying this has nothing to do with Judaism. The laws and the difficulties I encountered, you will find in any fundamentalist version of any religion. Uh, and, you know, I was brought up in a world where every child from the day they're old enough to speak until the day they die, they're a male child. When they wake up in the morning, after they thank God for giving them life, the third sentence that comes out of their mouth every day when they wake up is, Isha, which means, thank you, God, for not making me a woman. That's what my son said, my brother said, my husband said, every male in my community thanks God on a daily basis for not becoming a woman, for not being born a woman. And women say, Thank you, God, for making us as you chose. And thank you, God, for not making us slaves. So we weren't men, but we weren't slaves. We were somewhere in the middle. Um, our purpose in life was to have babies and to be obedient and subservient to our husbands. Um, I did not go to college. People in my community do not go to college. And even the high school education I had, we had a class called chemistry. We had a class called biology, but we learned absolutely nothing. We had those classes just so that they could get government funding. But we actually learned zero biology and chemistry. And, you know, my education was um, more in line with the way they educated women in the 1800s. You were trained how to speak properly, how to be a good wife, how to be a good mother, how to change diapers, how to deal with little children. That's what I was taught. Uh, and so when I... You know, I was told that Nushim Daitan Kalos, which means a woman's mind is light, uh, which is the reason given for why women aren't allowed to be educated in my community. In fact, the Talmud, which is like where most of the laws that govern our lives come from, says that a man who educates his daughter is teaching her prostitution. So basically, an educated woman is a bad woman. Uh, and that's the world I came from. I left when I was 42 years old with my four children, except, you know, one, oh, three of them are completely part of the outside world. One graduated Stanford University, the other graduated uh, Columbia, the other graduated FIT. My youngest one is still straddling both worlds. And um, I left when I was 42 years old. I didn't know a single person in the outside world. I never gone on a date. I'd never been to the prom. I didn't know what to do at a bar. I'd never been to, I haven't, I hadn't lived a 21st century life. I'd lived in 1800s life. That's why we say I'm a time traveler. Um, and I walked out of 42, started my shoe brand two months later without, of course, knowing anything about fashion or shoe design or how to make shoes or anything, honestly. Um, and within a year we were being sold all over the world. Within two, I became creative director of La Perla. And then I took over UWG and then I sold the television show and wrote a book. And now I just launched Plus Buddy, my shaper brand. 
Ta-da! <laughs> I mean, come on, girl. Oh, like, whoa. Okay, so back up the bus. Okay, let's go back to downtown Abbey for a minute because that's literally what I feel literally. It is. Downtown Abbey minus the fabulous clothing and the really cool parties. What the? Subtract that and that's the world I lived in. Women were not educated. Their whole purpose in life was a good, a good match. And if you were not pure or appropriate in every way, you wouldn't get a match. Your siblings wouldn't get matches. Like literally think Downton Abbey, think Bridgerton, any of those to track the fabulous clothes and parties. And you have an idea of what my life was like. Oh my gosh. Did, so did, were you having like this internal battle of the soul of wanting to escape or did you even, cause you were so sheltered, but you still had to know what was on the other side, right? I didn't really know what was on the other side at all. Honestly, this is going to sound, this is so embarrassing to say, I didn't know until my early thirties that women were allowed to live alone in our country. I thought women have to live with either a father or a husband. I didn't know you could when I watched Sex in the City for the first time, I was in my mid-30s. Not only did it teach me about vibrators and that sex could actually be something pleasurable, which I had no idea about. I see these women with jobs and businesses living by themselves. And I'm like, that can't be right. And then I was like, oh my God, that is happening an hour outside of my community. Because in my community, you never live alone. You go from your father's house to your husband's house. The only time you're going to be alone is if you're widowed. Or your husband refuses, you know, a woman can't file for divorce in my community. A woman cannot get divorced unless her husband gives her permission. So if a woman, if a man is beating her senseless, throwing her out of second floor windows, beating her children, sexually abusing her, there's nothing she can do about it. She cannot get a divorce. And she can get a legal, you know, American divorce, obviously, but without a get, a Jewish divorce, no religious man will marry her. And so she's forced to be alone for the rest of her life. Um, and her husband, on the meanwhile, he can get remarried. Even while he's still married to her, he can marry multiple women. So he can get special dispensation to get remarried without ever getting divorced. She's stuck alone for the rest of her life unless he gives her permission to divorce him. And how many abusive men do you know who give permission to the women that they're abusing to divorce them? That's not a thing. No. So you have the only time you have women living alone in my community are women who are called agunos. They're trapped, meaning they're not divorced, but they, they're not living with their husbands because their husband was abusive or terrible or some other such thing. And in my world, without a man, you're not really a person because you can't go to synagogue. When you go to your kid's school, they don't want to talk to you. They want to talk to your husband, mm -hmm. right? It's that very male-centric, um, patriarchal society. Again, think um, Handmaid's Tale minus the killing and the mutilations. Jews do not do physical damage at all. It's all mental and emotional and societal. So no one's going to cut your hand off. They're just going to kick your kids out of school and make you a pariah. So that's, it's, it's all societal and emotional and social pressure and psychological pressure. And then you feel as a human being that something is intrinsically wrong with you, that you're not okay with this. And that's what it was like for me my whole life was this dichotomy between who I knew I was, that I wasn't stupider than men, that my mind wasn't incapable of understanding deep and esoteric subjects, uh, and being told that 
the only kind of woman God would love is a silent, subservient, obedient one. So there was this constant dichotomy, this war inside of me of what I was told I had to do to be a good woman and who I intrinsically am as a human being. I'm not shy. I love to learn. I'm an intellectual. I, I read. I'm a, a voracious, hungry reader of books. And I'm an eternal student. And all of those things, which would create accolades in the outside world, in my community, were bad and evil and dangerous. Oh, my word. How big is this community? Like oh, well, there's millions and millions of us all over the world. I mean, I think the community in New York, um, I'd have to Google it. Honestly, it's very hard to get real stats. But just think yeah. about the fact that the average family in my community has eight kids, right? So do the math. I mean, I have, right. I don't know exactly how many nieces and nephews I have. Somewhere between 30-something and 40-something nieces and nephews. I have seven sisters and brothers. Um, one of my brothers, uh, his wife is from a family of 12 or 13. Her sister married someone with 16 children in their family. A lot of my friends have 10 children plus there's birth control is not completely forbidden in my world, but it's a big no, no. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just a lot of laws around it. You can't have it unless you have a girl and a boy, and then you have to ask a rabbi and you have to have some kind of mental or physical in condition and you know so basically like in order to get birth control and it's a very different kind of birth control like I took birth control um light meaning it's uh you know 60% efficacy blah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. but so you know and it's and it's a big stigma people will know you know so like mm. I have four kids I had prayer circles rabbis would call me into their office and say Julia you see you're so vocal you're studying things you're not to be studying. That's why God's not giving you more kids. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, they have something to do with the birth control I'm hiding in my underwear drawer, but sure, we'll go with your version. Right. Oh my gosh, this is this is wild. And, you know, it's it, what I love about the book is it, it gives so much introspection of what was, and then the show is now what is. And uh, you going on the other side of it. And, you know, you're, you were married for 23 years. I, yeah. And that's correct. I want to know, like, so I grew up with a single mom and for 10 years, she got physically abused, like broken ribs, you name it. Oh and my God. I'm so sorry. Honey. It was, it was, aye, aye, aye. it was just like the, she had enough and it was like a defining moment where threw his stuff on the lawn and fled. And I want to know for you, like what made you have the courage to leave and start your new life? It's interesting. First of all, great question. And kudos to your mom for being so incredibly brave. That's why she has a daughter like you. I'm sure you guys are really close. Yeah. Um, Miriam, my daughter Miriam is really the beginning and end of my personal exodus story. Um, when I was in my 30s, my early 30s, uh, Miriam decided she wanted to play soccer. Now, this is a girl who has won um, Spartan twice. She entered Spartan twice and won both times, not just for her age group, for all women. She's incredibly athletic and sporty, and she's like me. We're very driven. We're hardworking, you know, and we like, we're competitive. We like winning, right? Yeah. Um, so she comes to my husband. Must have been, I don't know, five, six years old. And she says, 
um, I want to play soccer. And my husband tells her, you can't. And she asked why. And he said, well, you know that you're not allowed to wear pants. You'd have to play soccer in a skirt. And if you're running and you kick the ball and your skirt lifts up, a man walking by the field may see your knees and have inappropriate sexual thoughts about you. Therefore, you can't play soccer because that's what we were told. We weren't allowed to sing in public, dance in public, play sports, wear pants, all sorts of things because it was our responsibility to ensure that men didn't fit. Men's actions weren't their responsibility, they were ours. Um, and so my little and my little five, six-year-old daughter looks at my husband and says, okay, well, if I'm responsible for his actions, is he responsible for mine? Mm-hmm. And that was it. That's all I, that's all it took because I'd been having those same questions in my mind for 20 years, 30 years, but I had been convinced that something was intrinsically wrong with me, that I was somehow flawed for daring to question the word of God, for daring to say, why is it my responsibility that a man doesn't sin? Why can't he be in control of his own desires? Mm-hmm. Hearing it from the mouth of a five-year-old, wow. they could not convince me that she was somehow flawed. She certainly hadn't heard it from me. I never said it out loud. But to hear from the mouth of a five-year-old child made me realize that it wasn't that I was wrong or that something was wrong with me. The system was wrong. The laws were wrong. And so she gave me permission to say, I want out. That was the start. Then it took me eight years to educate myself. I knew nothing about the outside world. I didn't read secular literature. I didn't watch television. I didn't right. read newspapers. I knew nothing, nothing. I was literally living an 18th century life. And so I spent the next eight years educating myself, watching television, watching movies, reading books, finding a way to make money because I wasn't leaving without my kids. I had to understand a little, as much as I could about the outside world before I walked into it. But still, and I always say this to people, imagine if you read a hundred books about deep sea diving, and then you watch a hundred movies and TV shows about deep sea diving. Does that make you a deep sea diver? No, that was me going into the outside world. I'd read a lot. I'd watched as much as I could, but that's not the same as walking in that world. That's not the same as deep sea diving. So to actually walk outside and go into a world that I knew nothing about, I knew no one, I was a complete zero. I didn't have a past. I didn't have friends. I didn't have anyone to rely on and fall back on. Like, you don't realize like how interconnected your life is. You know, people from high school, from college, from your first job, from the first neighborhood you lived in. I didn't have any of that. I was a total zero. And so it was really frightening. And so even though I spent eight years educating myself, in the end, when push came to shove, I was too scared to walk out the door. I couldn't do it. I, and so I decided that instead of leaving, I was just going to commit suicide. That seemed like a safer easier thing than to actually leave. Leaving was just so, it just seemed, it seemed like time travel. It seemed almost impossible. And so I decided, you know, just like in Bridgerton, the match is everything. And if a mother commits suicide, obviously her kids are not going to get good matches because there's going to be some, you know, in, you know, questionable lineage there. So I had to figure out a way to kill myself without people actually realizing I was trying to kill myself. So I decided to starve myself to death because I figured people just think I have an eating disorder. 
And an eating disorder doesn't have the same stigma as suicide. An eating disorder means your daughter-in-law will, after her 16 kids, will still be skinny. So an eating disorder is not so bad, right? So I was down to a weight that I don't want to say on air because then people will be just like literally faint and be horrified. But I was so low that I was really skeletal. I was probably a good six pounds away from that. That that's as I came real close. And then one night, my daughter comes home. My daughter Miriam, same daughter, and she is hysterically crying. And Miriam and I were not criers. Like now, ever since I left my community and I and I built something and I've shown the world who I am. Now I feel much more comfortable to cry. Now I'm like strong enough to cry. Before I was just like, I'm never going to cry, you motherfuckers. You can't make me cry. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we're not criers. Like I can count on one hand the amount of times I've seen Miriam cry and to see her crying was just such a shocker to me. And in the end, I found out that she'd been accused of cheating because the work was too good to have been done by a woman. And that's when it hit me that I'm going to commit suicide. That helps me and ends my pain, but it does nothing for my daughter's. And I realized that if I don't walk out that door, Miriam is going to be me at 42. But Sheva is going to be me at 42. And so the next morning, I packed my stuff and Miriam and I walked out the door. Oh, my God. And and you walked into a life of freedom. But like, well, well, you like, know, still working on that part, a life of more freedom, not like, freedom yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. And it's an evolutionary process. And, and to your yes. point, you know, experience is the best teacher. And you're so right. Like, you know, I coach and teach thousands of entrepreneurs on business. And I'm like, you just have to do it or you're never going to learn people. That's like, it. you got to do it. And um, oh my gosh. Well, thank you for just being so transparent about your escape and you were basically planning your escape, but then it was like, it's the, I was too scared to actuate. Yeah, I really was. It's like, and it was working through your, your daughter, which is so, I'm so like, Oh, I'm so grateful that you made that escape because Mm -hmm. it's like, me too. She saved my life. If Miriam, if it wasn't for Miriam, I would not be alive today. A hundred percent. I wouldn't have made it. No way. And you can save my life. You can tell your bond on the show and she's such, she's such a little badass and it's, it's just, it's so cool to see. And and so, oh my gosh. So then you start your shoe brand very soon after two years, literally a month later, month later. (laughs) How, okay. So tell me what that's like, because so many entrepreneurs listen to this and they're, or, or people that want to do something they want And it's like right. they're fasting their way through it. Like you cannonballed in because you really didn't have a choice. That's it. And that I think the two things that I think, you know, when you, you look back at it, had I really known what creating a brand entails, I probably never would have tried it because the odds logically would have been so overwhelming as to being like, that's just not a realistic goal. But because I didn't know how unrealistic my, my dream was, I just went for it. I figured if I could time travel, I can make a shoe brand. And so my ignorance was almost my, uh, it was, you know, a a, a tremendous uh, benefit to me because I didn't realize how crazy starting a brand was without ever having gone to college. I'd never heard of PR. I never heard of marketing. I didn't know what logistics was. I didn't even know where you make shoes. All I knew is you make shoes somewhere in Italy 
that's basically all I knew. And all I knew about fashion is fashion equals Paris. That was pretty much all I knew. I'd never, I'd never heard of anything, anything related to the actual business aspect of it. And so you look at it and you say, what in the world was I thinking? But the beauty of it is I wasn't. I just thought to myself, this is a passion I have. I've been drawing shoes my entire life. I've been creating and inventing. And I taught myself how to sew. And I taught myself how to make patterns. And I did all of this stuff. Fashion has been my art to the world since I'm old enough to think or speak. This is my chance to actually actuate it. And so I just went for it, even though it made no sense. And I had zero experience. And if you would have looked at it logically, the you know, the the likelihood of my success was probably 0.0000001%. I mean, it was ridiculous. I didn't know a single human being in the outside world and I started a shoe brand. I mean, who does that? Crazy um, Julia, that's who does it, but it worked. It, you know, you know, what's so cool about it. I was just on a call yesterday with an agent and, you know, it's so funny when you get, I'm a public speaker and do many different things and, and it's so funny how they want to put boxes. Everybody wants to. Oh, yeah. And limits. And the beauty of, of your story is that you didn't have a, a, a false ceiling. You didn't have this, this is how you do it kind of thing. So it's like the spirit and the frequency was like, let's go. There's right. And there- I didn't know how it was done. So I just figured how I wanted it to be done. And then I went and did it. I didn't know what the norm was. So I created my own norm. Hold up. Did you hear the news? Recalibrate 2024 masterclass literally was off the charts. People are raving about it. And I want you to be raving about it as well. Why? Because you deserve to have the ultimate clarity on what you need to leave in 2023 and what changes you need to make to create the best year ever. Imagine walking into 2024 by a clear game plan that speaks to your soul and your life's mission. Imagine examining what has worked for you this past year and quite frankly, what needs to go and really putting together a game plan that I have really cultivated and used the past five years of my life to ensure that I actually move the needle on my dreams God has put in my heart and that I actually have time to rest and be the feminine businesswoman that I'm called to be. I will say no more about this. You just need to send me a DM on Instagram at it's Emily saying recalibrate recording and I will give you all the details. You owe it to yourself to hunker down for three hours. I will send you my guidebook and really go at it for yourself. Take the chance, take the time to really map out your next year and watch what happens when you have a plan that is aligned with your values, your goals, you are going to see significant progress. I promise you, you will. I would only say it's risky if you don't take the time to assess and curate a plan for yourself. So who was the first, like, what was the first breakthrough with the shoes of like, you got into a retailer, you sold a lot yes. of um, so yeah, so the first breakthrough was, um, okay, now I have these shoes, I have these beautiful shoes that I've created and yeah. they're made of the most unique materials. I had a heel. I found a guy 
who cut stone as thin as a piece of paper and treated it with a chemical to make it malleable. So I wrapped heels in stone. I made heels out of stone. I made glass slippers from Murano glass, like crazy stuff. Um, and I have this collection of the most beautiful shoes and the, the you know, eventually by my second collection, I had changed the arch of the shoes so that it was much more comfortable. But now I'm in Paris because all I know about fashion is Paris. And I literally Googled most expensive hotel in Paris, got the George Sink and booked myself a room there and created a little showroom. But now I don't know anybody. How do I get people into my showroom to see my beautiful shoes? I don't have PR. I don't have marketing. I don't know anything about fashion. I don't know anyone in the outside world. So what do I do? So I went every day and I sat in the George Sank. I sat at the uh, lounge every day, just looking pretty, <laughs> wearing my shoes, hoping someone would notice me at some point and just invite me to a party. Literally, that was the plan. And so after probably five days of just sitting there like a lump on the log without anyone talking to me, day five, this guy walked over to me and says, you know, starts talking to me, invites me, my first ever uh, European fashion party, which was a um, vodka. It was like, I can't remember. It's so annoying because I know it's with a B. I'm so bad with names. I don't know if it was Berluti or um, I can't remember what brand it was, but it was vodka and some brand. I was like, oh my God, my first fashion party. I don't, I don't remember what it was called, okay. but I go there. And of course I lost the guy after four seconds because, you know, I was there to sell my shoes, not to like meet a new person. Although obviously I dated as well. Um, and I'm wandering around and I'm like, okay, now what? Now I'm at a fashion party. How do I get people to notice my shoes? And I'm just walking up and down, trying to figure out what to do next. And this woman um, late fifties, mid sixties, walks over to me, very elegantly dressed and says, I love your shoes. Whose are they? And of course it was the first person who asked me about my shoes. I was like, yeah, I get to talk about my shoes. So I just launched into the whole thing. I'm like, they're my shoes. And she's like, no, I understand you own them, but what brand are they? And I said, no, 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 they're my brand, Julia Hart, blah, blah, blah. And I launched into this whole explanation of what my shoes are and what makes them unique. And it happened to be that this woman was a shoe buyer from Harrods. And the first person who walked into my showroom at the Four Seasons at the George Sank was the Harrods shoe buyer. And she placed an order. And once Harrods placed an order, Carla Fayette placed an order, Biondini placed an order, Farfetch placed an order. And all of a sudden, within two weeks, I had so many orders that now I didn't have my next problem, which is how to produce them. I was hoping to sell five shoes and I sold thousands of them on my first try out. So yeah, that was it. Oh, and how, how long ago was this? This is 2013. Oh my word. 10 years ago. Exactly. So this is, I'm 10 years old, basically. That's it. Oh my God. And so you're, so then now you're in it and your company is growing. Are you like, are you reading? Are you asking for mentors? Is people trying to screw you over sometimes? Because sometimes always yes to all of the above. I got okay. screwed over so many times. And again, currently, as you know, now I'm yeah. still too trusting. I still didn't understand enough about contract. I still believed in people who I cared about. Like, oh my God, people take a lesson from what happened to me. It doesn't matter if you love them. It doesn't matter if you think they're the greatest person on earth. Go get a separate lawyer and double check every contract because people lie when it comes to money. 
hundred percent. I've, I've personally dealt with things as well, where having a big heart and just wanting to help people, uh, you know, not everybody walks with integrity and it's, and that's it, it. Yeah. I was way too naive. And I still, again, like I thought I learned the lesson through my shoe brand, but what I realized is I learned the lesson through my shoe brand in business. When it came to my personal life, I was still too trusting. I was still like, oh, but he loves me. So of course he's not going to cheat me, which we all know is false and unfortunately untrue in many, many circumstances. Mm, yeah. Yeah. How, how are you doing now? Like, I'm great. I'm yeah. forward looking. I'm dating. I launched my new brand. I have a lot of projects coming out. I've been very involved in um, activism and humanitarian work. I've been to Rwanda. I've been to Ukraine twice. I'm always, you know, I have a mission. My mission is to create an army of financially independent women who are financially independent, sexually independent, emotionally independent. And whether it's through EWG or through activism or through my other brands or through founders forums where I bring VC companies and women's brands together, whatever I'm doing, that's always the goal. And I'm never going to let any man stand in the way of completing my mission. That's right. And you know, what you're doing is you're losing yourself in the service of others. That's it. Literally, that's what you're doing. And I was talking to a girlfriend the other day that's going through hell and back in a divorce. And I'm like, honey, it is what it is at this point. Put yourself into something that's going to make your heart sore because every day you're living at a low frequency, control what you can control and what you can't. That's it. That's it. You've got, you know, that's what kept me going is thinking of all the people. I mean, yes, I have problems. Yes difficult things have happened to me, but there are people who've had much worse problems and had more difficult things. And so focusing on that and trying to help them gets me up every morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so inspiring and it's the way to live. And and it's just like, it's just, it's just (laughs) a temporary thing. And, and that's what I try. You think it's the end of the world in the moment, but you're like, no, 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 it's not. Like, yeah, you're going to move. And I don't, honestly, I don't love the whole, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because what doesn't kill you can wound you and cause you tremendous harm. And, you know, it can take years to recover from it. Mm. But what I do think is that what doesn't kill you teaches you. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've learned so much about myself. Um, I've learned what not to do. And I've learned that I am stronger than I thought I was. I didn't think I was going to make it through. You know, to me, after everything I'd been through and how hard I'd fought for freedom, how hard I'd fought to make a name for myself, how much work I'd actually done, you know, look, take away all the noise. There are just certain inalienable facts, right? Fact is, I took over a modeling agency that was valued at 70 million and without any outside funding, within two years during COVID, I built it into a billion-dollar business. That's just a fact. I have a a bank, Jeffrey's Bank, who valued the business that I built in two years without outside funding through COVID when the world was closed at a billion dollars, from 70 million to a billion in two and a half years. Girl. So there are things that I know that I am capable of doing and and that I did and that I worked 20-hour days to accomplish. It's not easy to do what I did. Yeah. And to have all if it took was one man saying, she shops a lot, she this and that. Proof, zero, zero. And in fact, the whistleblower comes out and says, 
are you talking about? Everything gets approved. I see every single thing. She handed everything and everything is above board. Never got paid a salary, all of that. And to see how easy it was for a man to destroy me, how easy it was. He had no proof. He had no documents, nothing. I had the proof. I had the documents. It made no difference. And that, the inequity of it, the injustice of it, how easy it was, it almost killed me. It really did. Because after everything I'd been through, here I was back where I started, a man taking control of my life, totally decimating me as a human being and stating that my work is his work. My accomplishments are his accomplishments. So that was really hard. It was really hard. And I think the only thing that got me through were my children and my friends and my purpose. It was that purpose in the end that saves me because I just keep telling myself, Julia, if you give in, if you give up, then they win. Then men like that win. And I would rather literally spend the next 900 years of my life or however much I have left on this earth rather than allow that to happen. I will never let a man or a woman destroy my mission. Just not going to let it happen. And, and, and I would imagine for me, when something horrific happens, if I know I did the right thing, I'm like, listen, maybe, maybe they try to put something out there in the public or all the turbulence, but I know at the end of the day, I did the right thing with it. But honestly, in a way that made it worse for me because it was the injustice. Like had I done something wrong, I would be like, okay, look, I got caught. Oh, well, too bad on me. The problem was I knew I hadn't. I knew that I kept telling the truth and nobody believed me. And that the injustice of that, of constantly being accused for something, you know, you're telling the truth. You know, the person accusing you knows you're telling the truth. And you know that he's laughing his head off that no one believes you. And it is, it was so painful. It was so incredibly painful that here I am telling the truth over and over and over again. I made no difference. And that was very painful. It was really, really difficult. But, but as you see, as time goes on, I've held the, I've held my course. I have not found floundered. Uh, and I now, as the months progress, more and more facts come out, more and more information come out. The whistleblower comes out, and then all of a sudden, you see, you start understanding the truth. And so, what I know is that while Truth may get halfway around, while uh, a lie can get halfway around the world while truth has time to put its pants on, eventually truth will come out. You just have to stay the course. So I'm going to keep staying the course because I know the truth will come out and I know what the truth is. And I know that with enough proof and enough documentation and enough time, everyone will know what the truth is. And so I'm just going to keep going. Yes. Uh, You know, I posted this on Instagram last week. I said, the truth will eventually reveal itself. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You are. And it is slowly, but surely the truth is coming out. Yeah. You mean like just, just what you did with the elite world group. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm sorry. Come on. And then, you know, some press made us co-CEOs. I'm like, but we weren't co-CEOs. This is literally changing history. There was no co-CEO. I was the CEO. I'm the person who walked into work every day. I'm the person who worked 20 hour days. Those are just facts. I was the person, all the meetings, I'm the one who started the 
avatar division, the digital divisions. I mean, these are just facts. You know, you cannot change history no matter how much you want to. And I know that if I stay the course, eventually those facts will come out, right? Mm -hmm. First, it was I stole two Bentleys. Then I stole one Bentley. Then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Julie actually paid for her Bentley. Oops, right? So it's one thing after another. Stay the course. The truth will come out. Yeah. So clearly in in your DNA, though, I mean, we- I'm a fighter. You're I'm a fighter. You're resilient AF. And you know, what, what happens in our past does make us resilient, uh, you know, and, and I, I know that to be true for my own life. People are like, how do you not let this phase you? I'm like, because I'm going to let it roll off, you know, my shoulder, like water, because we just have to keep marching forward. And you've been, to That's this, it. you know, um, but, but for me, like as a business person, and I, I was talking to a group of women here in LA that knew you were coming on the show and they're like, she's got it, something in her. Like, she, is it, is it her intelligence? Like, how does she grow businesses? Like she does. And I'm like, I don't know. Let me ask her her business tips. You know, like what, what would be, you know, we know, listen, when I started different companies, 20 hour days, like morning, noon, and night, this is just, it is what it is. But there is something about you that whatever you touch, it seems to turn to gold in the business sense. Give us your tip. So honestly, I never look at what is. I look at what could be. Mm. I'm always thinking, how can we do this better? What are we missing? And if you look at all the things I've done, it's always been inventing or utilizing, either inventing something new or utilizing available technology in a new way to solve a problem that people accept as a given, but that I don't. For example, with the shoes, you know, it was comfort or beauty. You had one choice. Right. You could either wear a comfortable high heel shoe, a comfortable shoe, but then you looked like, you know, those not very elegant or sexy shoes, right? I don't want to say nurse shoes because I don't want to offend nurses, um, oh. but you know, those kind of like work shoes, let's yeah, just say. Kind of blase. Yeah. Yeah. Or you wore a beautiful high heel Christian Louboutin and you wanted to kill yourself because you were in so much pain because they're incredibly painful to wear. So what did I do? I said, well, I don't see why it has to be one or the other. Why can't a woman have a beautiful shoe that's also comfortable? And so the first thing I did, well, the second thing I did was to switch the arch of the shoe so that the pressure points were more evenly distributed across the entire foot, thereby alleviating the pain of having the entire weight of your body on the front of your feet, which is why high heels are so uncomfortable. When I came into La Perla, it was the same thing. I didn't just design laundry. I thought, what don't I like about laundry? What bothers me about laundry? And then I thought about it. Lace, thongs are incredibly uncomfortable. You stick them up. They have no stretch. They have no movability. It's like sticking a poker up your, how do I fix that? And so I created the first ever stretch levers lace. And our first product was the Freedom Panty, which was magnificently beautiful, except we incorporated stretch. And so for the first time, you could have a lace panty that was also stretched. Um, I invented uh, this uh, something called the Vibra, which of course you can't patent, so now everybody copied me. But you know, when I came into La Perla, I was like, "Well, why? What do women do who have big breasts and they're wearing a low cut top? And what are they doing? They're wearing those plastic things that you have to stick on, and the gelatin, and all this stuff." And I was like, "Well, why can't we just make a bra without that little strap in the middle, so you could wear a bra and have full support under a low cut top?" And they're like, well, Julia, then if you don't have that piece in the middle, 
how do you hold the cups in place? And so I drew a deep V. I was like, take that same underwire, make it into a V, connect it down here. And now you have all the support you need, but you can wear it under the most low cut top. And so everything I've done has been walking into an industry, thinking of what's wrong with it, what's missing here, and then fixing it, right? Um, the same thing with uh, EWG. I saw women, talented women, incredible women who are standing in lines waiting for some guy to choose them. And I was like, this is ludicrous. It's at right now, the talent, they have the audience. Right. They're the media. So they're the ones who can be literally the next NBC, the next Vogue. And so I started utilizing writers, producers, directors, filmographers, content creators to help my talent build themselves into brands and businesses. I created avatars so they can make money while they sleep. So everything that I've done is not trying to copy someone else or doing something similar but better to someone else. It's seeing something lacking in an industry and then figuring out how to fix it. And the latest thing is shapewear, right? My shapewear doesn't look like anybody else's. It doesn't. For the first time in history, you've got shapewear that's colorful and patterned because we don't dye our materials. We heat fuse them. We use something called Power Bound 2.0, which literally ensures that the color and the pattern stays. You could stretch it from here to eternity. It doesn't budge. And then I thought of all the other problems I have with shapewear. That compression garments are thick. When you put them under your when you put them on and then you have to put another outfit on top of it, you're actually widening your body while you're flattening yourself out. Women were telling me they can't close their pants when they wear shapewear because it adds that extra girth. So my shapewear, just like we fused the color into the fabric, we fused all the layers of compression together into a paper thin layer. So it doesn't add girth. So for the first time, you don't have to choose between being lumpy and narrower or smoother and wider. You get to be smooth and narrow simultaneously. We put cups into our shapewear because I know when women wear shapewear, they have two options because there are shapewear except for mine is not sold by cup size. So if you buy shapewear, either you get pancake boo, right? Where it just smushes you in because it's compression or they make that really annoying hole where you then have to put a bra on. Do you bring a bra and shapewear and four straps and two straps in the back? That's just torturously uncomfortable. So. Our shapewear is sold by dress size and cup size. So everything that I have done has always been finding a problem, inventing or utilizing new technology to solve it. That's that's then that's why we've been successful because I don't I don't give I don't care about what is. I care about what can be, what should be, what will be. That's what I focus on. The white space as well. Like this that's is it. This is so that's it. And this is a common thread is that Julia has not had a box and, and you don't put limits like people. It's, yeah. we, it's not, you're not a copy and paste girl. You're not a no, copy. I'm certainly, <laughs> yeah. and, I'm certainly not. And, and it's, it's your imagination and it's, yeah. that's, that's what is so awe inspiring and it makes so much sense. And it, I deeply resonate. I believe creativity is a new commodity and it's like, stop going online to figure everything out. Yeah. They're due to your due diligence to do, you know, figure things, you know, studying, but at the same time, like go sit and be quiet and actually think about it. And yeah. that's literally one of your zones of genius. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But I think anyone 
you know, and that's the other thing. Like, um, I was a shoe designer when I chose to be a shoe designer. I became a clothing designer when I said I'm a clothing designer. But if I had made clothes, people would say, but is she a clothing designer? When I made, is she a handbag designer? When I wrote my first book, like Penguin Random House, that I, I who I love, right? When they first signed with me to publish my book, they're like, but you're not a writer. I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't a shoe designer and I wasn't a businesswoman and I wasn't a lingerie designer. And yet I've, I've done all of these pretty successfully. And so in the end, I did write my own book. They did not force me to get a ghostwriter. I wrote my own book. Uh, I wrote a, I think, 1740-page manuscript, which then had to get whittled down to a 408. I did my own audio. I'm the narrator of my own book. So, you know, what I find is that people will try to pigeonhole you and say, you're a this or you're a that. You're whatever you think you are. And if you can work hard and accomplish it, then that's what you are. And there should be no one telling you you're not an exec. I didn't used to be an executive producer. Now I am. So you don't realize what you're capable of until you try it. And if you feel it inside your heart, go for it. Ignore the noise. Fuck the noise. Oh my God. What are you most excited about right now? I'm super excited about Plus Body, about the Body by Julia Hart uh, shaper. I'm really, really excited about it because I think, you know, m- you know, tens of millions of women, if not hundreds of millions of women all over the world wear shapewear. Mm-hmm. And they're all insecure about it. And they're all embarrassed about it because it's so ugly. Nobody wants to get undressed or get caught wearing shapewear. You just don't. It's embarrassing. Yeah. You know, I had a, a woman, brilliant woman, um, in a very male-dominated industry. She's a banker. She comes to my house for lunch. She sits down and she and her her like dress moves up a little bit and I could see the shapewear underneath and she realized and she like pulled the dress down. She's like, and then she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm, I feel bloated. I have my period. Blah, blah, blah. Launches into this whole explanation as if I caught her stealing. Oh. And I remember thinking to myself like, this is crazy. If she wants to wear shapewear, she should feel good about it. She should feel confident about it. That's what my shapewear does. It just eradicates that that feeling of shame. I don't want women to feel shame ever, ever, ever. It's, it's absolutely the worst shame is it's, it's the worst and religion, a lot of religion. Oh yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, think about it. We are always made to feel shame. We are. You're, you're made to feel shame if you work from, and you, you're not taking care of your kids. You're meant to feel shame if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're not working. You're meant to feel shame if you like to wear makeup because you're too focused on your outside. If you don't like to wear makeup, you don't take good care of yourself. It's a lose-lose situation for women if they try to go out of the wor- in the world and get people people's approval. It will never work because they will find a way to put us down. So it's got to be internal. It's got to be so deeply internal that you know who you are and what you're capable of that no one and nothing can stop you. Amen, girlfriend. Oh my goodness. What do you think your it factor is? Oh gosh. Oh, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> you, you, uh, you, uh, you know, I want you to speak of yourself. Mm. How would you, um, like, how would you define that? It's for me, I really believe it's, it's your, it's your zone of genius. It's that thing that it's your superpower. Hmm. Um, That's a really good question. I guess I would say being 
unafraid of the new. Oh, yep. That that's ice. Oh man, that that is everything. Wow. How can we support you? How can anyone listening? First of all, you're so lovely. This is like one of my favorite podcasts I've ever been on. I, where do you live, actually? I'm just curious. It, in uh, L.A. or Orange County in California. All right, well, next time I'm in L.A., I'm gonna we're gonna have to sit down and do like oh, drinks girl. or dinner or something. You're well, really incredible. Good for you. Like, congratulations on what you've accomplished and achieved. It's really, really amazing. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just very. Uh, if you know, come on bodybyjuliahart.com, buy a piece of shapewear, read the book Brazen, uh, anywhere that books are sold, watch the show, and and communicate with me. I love hearing from people. I've collected over 700,000 messages from women who have shared their stories with me or how they've changed their lives. And I love, I love hearing from people because to me, the sisterhood is what's going to change the world. And I believe in it. And I want to grow it. And I think that together, if women would unite, what we could accomplish is just indescribable. She said it best. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Everyone follow Julia Hart. And, you know, I, I just, I, I want to say this one last time from a sister to a sister, like you are such a role model and example and a woman's Thank woman. You. And it's one thing to say, let's go girls, but you're actually doing it. And <laughs> thank you. Respect and admire you. And I'm a fan for life. So thank you, Emily. I can't wait to meet you in person. You're really incredible. I'm, I'm excited to meet you. Thank you.